I think it's hard living in the society where we can't share openly. And I'm hoping that we're coming across a little bit of a change because there is a movement for promotion of mental health, for promotion of, you know, self-care, self-love, being able to appreciate that you too are a person of value and you need to be cared for just as much as every other member of your family that you may be sacrificing yourself for. Welcome to The Change, where we share stories and inspiration from business leaders and people making positive work-life changes. I'm your host, Adam Baru. The challenges that parents have faced the past couple of years has been tremendous. During the early months of the pandemic, many parents were forced, literally overnight, into essentially becoming teachers as their kids' education went remote. On top of that, many parents still had jobs that required their attention. With the loss of sleep, dealing with laundry and cooking and making sure the bills get paid, it's no joke that parenthood is the hardest job one will ever have. The workplace has historically not been a great environment for people to share with their coworkers about personal challenges. This can leave parents feeling isolated, burned out, and suffering a level of anxiety they've had to keep private. Here to talk about parenthood, how to get better sleep, eliminate burnout, and execute goals is Carice Laguerre, a myofunctional therapist based in West Palm Beach, Florida. Carice, welcome to The Change. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thanks for um, thanks for joining us today. So I'd like to start with your background because I think you know how you grew up kind of plays a part in in the work that you do today. Um, so let's start there. Let's start with you telling us about where you grew up, what your childhood was like, and that sort of thing. Well, I grew up in New Jersey. I'm very much a Jersey girl. Yay. So while I might <laughs> reside in Florida, I am not a Floridian. Okay. okay. <laughs> so my upbringing in New Jersey was very interesting. I was raised by um, immigrant parents from the Caribbean and, you know, it was a very strict household and a lot of structure and a very big emphasis on education and mm-hmm. learning. So I was always pushed from when I was young to always try to learn more, know more. And so as I progressed and eventually became a registered dental hygienist, I found myself seeking out more information as I started to learn of the ways that medicine and dentistry kind of overlap, right? So I was working for a pediatric dentist who was very much entwined in airway dentistry. And she was able to put together a lot of pieces for me, for my children, because I'm a mom of four. And my children had a lot of things that I feel like we don't talk about as parents, right? So mm-hmm. we're going through the world and people ask, how's everything or how are the children? And you give your highlight reel. You're like, it's great. You know, this one's in soccer. That one's in ballet. We've got such and such going on. But you don't really talk about all the stuff that's underlying there. And so... That's some of the stuff that I was keeping to myself, that my son was struggling with ADHD and behavioral and impulse control issues. Mm -hmm. My daughter had every sleep issue under the sun. Um, My little two had a lot of upper respiratory infections, constant ear and throat infections. And it just seemed like we were never really at a great state of health. And once this pediatric dentist kind of put things together for me, that a lot of that was all intertwined in the way that they were either using their mouths or breathing, 
I dove deep and I dove hard and I'm constantly learning mm-hmm. again and again because I want to make an impact like I've been able to make in my own home, but I would love to make that for others as well. Yeah. All right. Let, let's, um, I want to, I want to keep you back in, in your, I guess, late teen years. Um, you know, I, I came across, you have a book, uh, called accomplished how to sleep better, eliminate burnout and execute goals. And I'd like to, um, read an excerpt, uh, from that book, if I may. At 18 years old, I was naive and pregnant. My mother took that nine-month gestational period to remind me daily of my naivete and the gravity of the situation. This grounded me firmly in my independence. Once my son was born, I was his sole caretaker. We co-slept, and it took almost three weeks before I relented and asked for help so I could shower. Not the freshest or happiest moments of my life, but certainly the pivotal point. So can you tell us what that was like, um, you know, being a teenager and, and being pregnant and what that, what that dynamic was like in your family and for you? Well, first of all, I, I don't think I knew at the time how naive I was (laughs) (laughs) definitely as an adult reflecting back on it. And that son now is, um, 18 himself. And so, You know, it's like, yeah, there's a lot of naivety there. But that time period for me was really just a a buckle down. I have to focus. Like, Mm -hmm. this is a consequence that I have to be fully accountable for, right? And how am I going to juggle all these things? Because I was still trying to maintain school at that point in time and figuring that I could, yes, go to college and I can do all these things, right? So... How do you juggle these things? How do you get to a point where you feel like you're getting everything done? Why is it that it took me so long to be able to just take a shower? Yeah, that in itself is it's a thing that I I desperately wanted to overcome. I had to figure out how is it that there are mothers all over this world and some of them are single or, you know, even if it's fathers and some of them are single and they're doing this on their own. How do you get everything done during the day? Yeah, because this is a, a giant struggle that all parents have to go through. Even if you're with someone and you're co-parenting or, you know, you're in a two-parent household, it's it's a struggle. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I have four kids and, um, you know, I, I'm definitely, you know, a, as the father figure, I, I'm not here to mansplain. <laughs> um, but I have definitely the, you know, what I witnessed with my wife, with our now six and a half year old Um, so this was my wife's first child and, you know, it, I just remember how tough it was, um, in the beginning. Um, it didn't help that I was working at a job that required me to take the train at six in the morning, two hours away, and then, you know, get back at seven 30 at night. But I remember when I would get back, my wife would tell me how she hadn't been able to take a shower, simple things like just even going to the bathroom. And, um, I, you know, I'm just you know, so grateful and thankful for, for moms out there. Um, and I don't, I think it's something that's not really talked about that much. I mean, between moms possibly, but, uh, you know, I think moms kind of go under the radar kind of suffering with, you know, just the, the challenge to just get their own basic, basic needs met, like simple things like eating and going to the bathroom. It's something we don't really, you know, think about, but, you know, when you have a little baby who is, you know, needing you every second of the day, it's, 
it's so hard to think that you just, those basic needs are really a, a difficult thing to get, to have met. Absolutely. And I like that you use the word, you know, suffering, because I really don't feel like for many of us, we consider it a suffering. It's more of like a sacrifice Mm -hmm. where you have this little being that you just love so desperately and you just want to make sure that that being's needs are met well above your own. Right. And so it becomes something that can be a challenge to find that balance. But balance will come. It definitely comes for everybody, especially once you're in that second child or third or fourth. Yeah. (laughs) You develop it. So were were you it sounds like you were a single mother at this time. You mentioned, um, well, at least in the excerpt uh, that you were your son's sole caretaker. So, um, you know, what what was that dynamic like? I was definitely a single mother at that time. um, And it was very difficult. I thought it would be, you know, I had this dream in my head, right, as I'm pregnant at 18. And I really thought that, you know, I would have just this beautiful child that's going (laughs) to eat and sleep and poop. Like, Mm -hmm. I didn't factor in crying. I didn't factor in getting sick at all. I didn't factor in maybe not sleeping as much, right? Right. Um, I had this beautiful imagery. And when it didn't come to fruition, it's like, all right, well, we just gotta, just gotta make do with what we what we do have, what we do have is a beautiful child that is, you know, crying and <laughs> colicky yeah. and yeah. sick and whatever. And so it's a struggle to do that on your own because I think for my family, they really wanted to have me be in that and to kind of feel the consequences of those actions of getting pregnant so mm. young, not having a partner. Well, yeah. What does that really look like? So I always knew I could ask for help, but but it wasn't something I felt like I should have done right away. Now, what was your support system like? I, w- were you living with your family still, or um, were they very helpful? You know, in, in those in those early years of your of your son. So I was definitely living at home, but kind of in my own space, and so with with him, I I had him in a way separate from everybody, but there was no point where I couldn't just, you know, go through the main door and just be with everybody, right? Um, I just made that decision. And it wasn't like, you know, people neglected to check in on me. I definitely had a support system that I knew I could reach out to. It was just the, the weight of that pregnancy and the way how, like I said, my mom always wanted me to know, like, I this was a really big thing that you did and mm-hmm. you have no idea what you're getting yourself into. <laughs> right. Almost like I, I can do this. Sure. So sure. You kind of buckle down and you do what you have to, but they weren't not there. It was just a choice. Yeah. And so let's talk about your journey a little bit. So, so you were 18 and, and you had this child, um, ultimately, uh, you know, I know now you have four children, if I'm not mistaken. Right. And, yeah. and so tell us a little bit about, you know, that journey, um, in your, you know, as, as a, as a young mother in your late teens, early twenties, and, um, you know, ultimately, uh, I'd like for you to, to lead us towards like the work that you're doing today. 
Awesome. Well, as a young mother, I think, especially with your first child, you're very aware of everything that's going on. So like I said, he had his own little issues. He was sickly in some ways. Um, He was four weeks premature. And so we struggled with breastfeeding. And so we wound up not doing that. And I, I personally felt that guilt of not being able to breastfeed. So he didn't get the optimal nutrition, which therefore led to whatever sicknesses he was going through. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that kind of weighed on me. So as that, as that early experience with that child, I wanted to do better with the next one. Right. The next one wound up to be more of a crier and a a decent, she wasn't great at it, but a decent breastfeeder. So I was like, okay, we should be a lot better and we shouldn't have as much sickness and illness and and whatever. But she wound up having a lot of her own issues, especially around sleep. So she would hardly ever sleep. And Mm -hmm. that was something that, you know, never got better. So as she got a little bit older, so while it's the two of them, I have my son who's a boy and he's running around. And And, and what age was he at this point then when your daughter was born? He was two Okay. when my daughter came in. And so he's two and he's hyperactive and he's all over the place and like bouncing off walls. But we expect that from little boys, right? They should be tearing up the place at two mm-hmm. years old. And so I thought nothing of that. My daughter, now born, and that's the time she hits two or three, um, we're seeing that we're having these struggles with being able to potty train and being able to have her contain herself because she is also now very hyperactive as well. And I don't know if it's that she's following her brother or if that's just a part of her nature. Yeah. And we really never got off of, for her, it was a legitimate 10 years, but we never got off of nighttime pull-ups. It was 10 years of every night bedwetting and Mm. she had her own journey and struggle. But when she was about three, then we had my next daughter and she was not a great breastfeeder and had upper respiratory problems from very early on. So tonsils infected, ear infection, and we're going through this as a back and forth. And then the next one comes along and it's the same thing. And I'm like, something about this is off. Mm, okay. Something about this is so off. I can't imagine that I have four children and all of them have something going on for these extended periods of time. Like the hyperactivity that was that two-year-old boy. Now he's 10 as I'm having my fourth child and he is still hyperactive and he's still going through his emotional outbursts and why is it that we can you know do about this i mean at that point i'm a mom of four he's 10 we're we're thinking okay but there's not much i can do except to accept a diagnosis of adhd and Mm, to medicate but the medications actually didn't do much for us Mm. and the waiting it out for my daughter and her sleep issues didn't help either it was like nothing was bringing us to a sort of resolve and um it was really in me winding up working for that pediatric dentist by that time around that same time frame where my fourth one is still very young that i started to put these pieces together like oh a lot of these sleep issues 
can cause what is yeah. manifesting in my son as ADHD or these sleep issues are contributing to what's going on with my daughter and why she can't really contain herself. She can't right. really focus and get herself together or what's going on with these upper respiratory things with my younger two these are all connected as well one to sleep but two also to just the way that they're using their mouths they did okay. a lot of mouth breathing all of these kids did a lot of mouth breathing and i had no idea even going to a top university for my uh, dental hygiene education i went to university of medicine and dentistry in new jersey I had no idea going to a university where I had daily interaction with the dental school, with the dental students, with the faculty, daily interactions, not once was mouth breather ever impacted yeah. as something we should be looking for as dental professionals. And so learning that and the connections to sleep has been profound yeah so let's let's stay there let's um dive in a little bit further with the pediatric uh dentist that you mentioned and kind of when um your eyes opened to you know really perhaps what was causing their their sleep issues what was that revelation like and how was that presented from the from that pediatric dentist so she was very passionate and I loved her passion and I would go with her to many different courses and I would learn this stuff and I would take it all in and I'd read more about it. But it didn't click for me until I really got another person to see it from this perspective. So my um, second daughter, but my third child, uh, the one who had the upper respiratory issues, I took her at the behest of that pediatric dentist. I took her to see another myofunctional therapist at that time. Now, I didn't have my own training yet, but I knew exactly what this myofunctional therapist would be looking for and looking at. And so I thought, you know, okay, maybe we do some exercises. It might help. Well, this myofunctional therapist where we had an hour and a half appointment for an evaluation, she had us finished in, I think, seven minutes. It must have okay, been like wow. a record or something. Because she looked at her, she asked her to do two different things, and she said, this child cannot breathe, she needs help, and she needed surgery like yesterday. Wow, okay. And so she sent me off. At that point, I am distraught because I'm like, what do you mean she can't breathe? Mm -hmm. She's been seeing the doctor regularly as far as her pediatrician. We've been getting all sorts of, you know, medical consultations for various other things. We're seeing the neurologist for my son. Like, I, how could I miss that my child can't breathe? Right. Well, this myofunctional therapist having nothing except asking her to do a couple of tasks. Okay was able to discover in those seven minutes something that the ENT that I took her to subsequently took almost an hour long appointment to get to. And when he finally scoped her, he said, oh, well, she's got a deviated septum and okay. her adenoids are completely blocking one nostril. So the one where it's deviated, she's got like a little 10 to 20% window where she can get air through. But the rest of her nose, the complete other nostril and the rest of that one nostril completely obstructed. She literally could not breathe. Wow. That, that's and amazing. So that was the turning point for me where I was like, how could I miss that? How is this happening in my home? Somebody else was able to look at her for seven minutes and discover in that amount of time that this child is suffering. 
I need to do something. I have to intervene now. Yeah. What what exactly is myofunctional therapy? Myofunctional therapy in its easiest to understand form is essentially like having a personal trainer for all the muscles of the face. Okay. And I would say, honestly, we're going the muscles below the eyes, but above the shoulders. Okay. And why is that important? Because it really helps to establish the foundation of strength for those muscles. We get to proper patterning of those muscles and how you're using them, which is going to help facilitate better breathing, development in children, um, swallowing, digestion, and it's definitely going to help them overall with their sleep. Yeah, for sure. And and so let's bring it back to your daughter. Um, so she was uh, diagnosed um, by the myofunctional therapist in, in seven minutes, like you said. So what I guess, what was the work like or, or how, how was her breathing improved? So it was a combination of things, right? So this ENT that I saw that said, oh, she really just can't breathe. She has this narrow passageway. We said, okay, let's take a, a softer approach. Let's not go into surgery right away. And, you know, cause that's the thing you can have your adenoids removed, right. have tonsils removed. He said, let's not go into that right away. You're already working with a myofunctional therapist. Keep doing that. And then on top of that, we're going to do the, um, nasal spray so we had a nasal spray to kind of calm down the adenoids right and so my pediatric dentist that i was working with at that time put in an appliance to try to help to broaden her um the roof of her mouth her palate Mm -hmm. and so that palate if we think about it just structurally the roof of our mouth is actually the floor of the nose and so having a narrow palate meant that her narrowness went through to her nose and that is part of the reason why she was so obstructive she couldn't breathe because she had no basis for the floor of her nose being big and broad right Mm -hmm. when working with the myofunctional therapist to balance out the oral facial muscles get her tongue up there to help provide scaffolding or support for that palate working with my pediatric dentist who was able to put in an appliance that would help to facilitate getting that room in that palate. Mm -hmm. And then the ENT with the support of the um, nasal spray and then subsequent check to verify that, you know, everything was going well and that the septum was starting to straighten back out. Um, Didn't get fully straight, but it got more straight, which is phenomenal. And that the adenoids did decrease. Okay. So you guys were able to avoid surgery then it sounds like. Yes. A hundred percent. And so what was then, or I guess describe, you know, when she got to the other side, when, um, you know, how long of a process was that? And, you know, were these like repeated visits that you had to go for with the, with the therapist or did the appliance kind of take care of everything? So myofunctional therapy helps to support all of the other things that you're doing, right? So can you imagine if you are working in a marathon, right? You're running a marathon and you're trying to do it as a three-legged race. And imagine if you practiced and you worked so hard to get to that marathon, you've been training for it. And then you're tied to somebody who hasn't trained and they're Mm -hmm. kind of dragging you behind. Your muscles will drag you behind in any sort of appliance that you're working with or will drag you behind on your surgery for 
your adenoids, tonsils, or maxillofacial surgery that they do on the jaws, your muscles will drag you behind in your recovery and your being able to function appropriately if they're not working how they should, right? Mm -hmm. So I really like to liken it to personal training because we're working on muscles. And so you're seeing that myofunctional therapist frequently, once a week, sometimes twice a week. And then on top of that, you're doing these exercises at home to try to support it. Right. That way you have a really good support system for all of the other things that are going on as well. So for people that are listening and and, um, perhaps dealing with this with their own children, um, what was that total time frame like between when you first saw the therapist and your daughter was diagnosed uh, with this breathing condition until you got to a point where you're like, you know what, it's really working. Like she, her sleep is improving her. We can tell her breath is a lot better. She's breathing through her nose. Like what was that timeline? Like, was that six months, a year? The beauty of children is that it's very, it's usually faster. So for her, I would say we did myofunctional therapy for about five or six months. And then we had the appliance in for, I want to say almost a year. Okay. And then at that point, the um, ENT was well out of the equation because they don't want you on the nasal sprays or the steroid sprays for any more than, you know, around 30 days. So the ENT after about two or three months was out of the picture but okay and so um i mean describe how she is today like what normal breathing great sleep she is a phenomenal breather Uh, she has a big broad dental arch she does not need braces she wound up avoiding braces totally even though her canine teeth which people might know as like those fang teeth those Mm -hmm. pointy ones those were completely blocked her she was so narrow that they couldn't come out and so by intervening a little early around age seven we were able to get her that enough width that way we were able to get all the teeth to come down ideally so she never needed braces she sleeps beautifully she is a wonderful student she's got a great attention span i mean i she's a totally different person i like to say that honestly with all of my children i wound up meeting them for the first time at the conclusion of all of their stuff because the person that you know right now as your child is not who they actually are once they are fully rested and able to breathe totally different people. Oh, absolutely. And so, I mean, today you're a myofunctional therapist. So let's talk about that journey. I mean, I I would imagine that just having gone through that experience and really seeing then the positive effect that it had, you know, without requiring surgery was very enlightening for you. Um, Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your journey to become a myofunctional therapist. So my journey, I guess it starts before I became one, because like I said, I had the the beauty of having a mentor in that pediatric dentist, yeah. right? She was already familiar with stuff. We were already going to courses. But once I started seeing it and what was happening in my home and the blossoming of my children, that's when I dove into courses very heavily. I mean, my first course um, was then followed up the next weekend with another course. And then the weekend after that, I took a 
a whole nother course. So that's not typical. Okay. Most mm -hmm. people may take a course, get some space, take another course, like let the information digest. I just keep doing courses after courses after courses okay. because I want to yeah. know as much as possible. I want to be able to impact as many people as possible because once I saw those changes in my home and I knew what it was doing for children, I really wanted to know how to help children. Yeah. But outside of that, these children never come in by themselves. They come in with a family. They mm -hmm. come in with parents. They come in with guardians. They come in with people who are their loved ones who also find, oh, you know what? I had this issue as a child. Or, oh, oh okay. I, I still have problems with my sleep. Or what is it that I can do about that? So it's been a lot of educational coursework, probably over 150 continuing education hours so far and still going. But it's a, a, a long process and I'm trying to learn as much as I can so that I can impact not just the children now, but also the adults. Okay. Um, and so tell us a little bit about the Mayo spot. Mayo spot is a great place. <laughs> it's a, my wonderful private practice where we do myofunctional therapy predominantly. Um, I do do a lot of other supportive therapies that do help. Um, we work with cranial nerve balancing and reflex integration and Reiki and energy work and so forth. But the myofunctional therapy is the foundation for all of it. It mm -hmm. is a um, practice that is international at this point because I do do work with doctors as far as getting referrals and seeing patients through teletherapy um, all over the globe. Mm -hmm. and, but it is a phenomenal private practice where we do wonderful things. Yeah, I mean, I, it's got to be rewarding to not only have, you know, gone through the experience yourself and seen the effect on your family, but then to be able to provide that for children and their families as well. Yes. Oh, it's incredibly rewarding because you're seeing the changes, you're seeing the growth and you're seeing how it's impacting the homes. Because even if you as a parent, you know that you're struggling with something, like I said, we're as moms, it's not really a suffering. It's more of like a sacrifice, yeah. right? Where we're sacrificing or we may not get treatment for ourselves, but we'll definitely make sure our kids get treatment. You're seeing that change in your child. It's impacting how they are at home. It's impacting their trajectory of growth. And it's it's definitely making a change within the household, even without touching every person in the household. Yeah. And so it, leading towards 2020, I think I read it was February of 2020 when you published your book, um, Accomplished, How to Sleep Better, Eliminate Burnout and Execute Goals. So tell us about that process. When did you realize you wanted to write a book? In December of 2019. <laughs> okay. Well, that's pretty quick um, to be able to I turn that around. Like it was a huge turnaround because you know what I'm telling you, this is a true passion project of mine. I really felt like there's not enough. I don't have enough time to impact all the houses that need to know about this therapy. So I should put all that I know and all that I can into a book. That way more people are able to get this awareness that this is an option, that this is something that may be secretly lying in your home as a problem and it should be resolved and that there is a way to resolve that. And so the book, I really just put my head down, focused on writing that book. And within about a month, I was pretty much done and then sent it out so that it could be, you know, proofread and all that good mm -hmm. stuff. But yeah. yeah. Well, that's amazing.
When we come back, Carissa and I will discuss the isolation struggling parents face when they have to hide their challenges within the workplace. Stay with us. I'm Adam Baru, and you're listening to The Change from EIQ Media. Have you ever faced something so jarring, so overwhelming, and seemingly so hopeless that all you thought was, how will I ever get through this? Hi, this is Kristen Taylor, host of How I Made It Through, my new podcast that shares stories of ordinary people who've navigated some not-so-ordinary circumstances. When life throws heavy blows, we only truly make it through when we are truly willing to go through all of it, feeling it, and being transformed by it. The stories shared will enthrall and inspire you. They may even provide the roadmap you've been searching for. Welcome back to The Change. I'm Adam Baru. We were discussing the journey Carice took as she decided to write her book, Accomplished. So I want to I want to shift gears a little bit. I'm going to stay on the topic of the book. Um, but, you know, when we spoke earlier and then as I was reading the book, you know, there's some some pieces in there that I thought, you know, for this particular episode, I wanted to to spend you know more time with. Um, and we touched on it earlier. It, it, it really just has to do with how parents struggle, you know, through, you know, with everything that they're going through, raising their kids, you know, uh, sacrificing sleep, um, while they're supporting their children. And so I'd like to read another excerpt from your book. Now a mother of four, I struggled with many things in my household as many others do. However, some carry that in a more personal and private way. During playdates and casual conversation, we omit the persistent bedwetting and night terrors of your 10-year-old, the never-ending antibiotics that are dispensed daily to children that never really get well, or the ADHD that has your youngest child failing middle school. That does not fit into the current social models of today. We share photos and happy quotes to let the world know we are okay, even though we may not truly be. So when I read that, it, it really resonated with me. Um, again, I, you know, in my experience, I'm looking at, you know, my lens as a father. Um, and I, it's definitely different between father and mother, but I think in some regard, you know, it's a shared experience. Um, you know, I mentioned my, I'm a father of four, um, my kids age from 22 is my oldest. Um, and my youngest is two. And I have two girls, two boys. Interestingly, my two daughters, great sleepers, always were, you know, I don't know about my 22-year-old today, but my six-and-a-half-year-old, I mean, she is just a phenomenal sleeper. Um, but my two sons, um, you know, I don't remember so much with my older son, who's now 19, but I know that he did have sleeping issues, and very much it's something that we experience with my two-year-old. He's getting better, but... You know, he likes to get up at 4.45, 5.15 in the morning, um, like he did today. 
And, you know, fortunately now he is pretty much sleeping through the night, but for his first two years, and I, I talk about this a lot of my podcast and my experience, you know, due to a number of circumstances, but I was having a lot of like, you know, growing anxiety attacks, like, uh, my, um, just the way that they would happen more frequently with me. And I, I kind of, I don't know, for whatever reason it took to law, it took me a long time to figure out really where that, uh, how I can address that. And, you know, part of it was that my, you know, now two-year-old, so he was like probably under one at the time, but he was waking up like five, six, seven times a night. And um, at the same time, I was working on a software project where I was, you know, working until midnight, one in the morning. So I kind of took on the responsibility from my wife. You know, I said, hey, I'm already kind of up. You know, I'll, I'll take uh, our son when he gets up and, and let you get some better sleep. And so I was probably averaging three to four hours of sleep a night. And, you know, it's something that, yeah, our society is built where we have to kind of set our personal experiences aside when we go to our, go to work and that sort of a thing. It's, it's just that, you know, our society is not built to share these experiences. So, you know, what was this like for you? What are your thoughts around, um, you know, why our society is built in a way where we just, it's not set up to be able to talk about these things in an open shared way. I think it's hard living in the society where we can't share openly. And I'm hoping that we're coming across a little bit of a change because there is a movement for promotion of mental health, for promotion of, you know, self-care, self-love, being able to appreciate that you too are a person of value and you need to be cared for just as much as every other member of your family that you may be sacrificing yourself for. Um, I think for me as a person living it and experiencing it, it's almost scary and shameful all at the same time. It's mm -hmm. scary because there's nothing that's out there as an open example of things do get better because nobody's sharing that they're even experiencing it. So right. how do you know things are going to get better? But it's also shameful because you feel like, well, nobody else is going through it. So what am I doing wrong that my children are suffering like this? Right. And so it's it's a problem. But I'm hoping that we're coming up on the other side. Yeah, I think that social media always has, you know, its pros and its cons, just sure, like yeah. everything else. And I think the beauty of sharing images and being able to share the good and the happy times is a phenomenal thing that has mm -hmm. promoted the society to, you know, share your wins. However, it also encourages us to hide those losses and to hide anything that might be negative because you yeah. don't want to put that out there on front. You would like to make everything appear as nice as possible so right. if you have the american dream put that out there and anything less than the american dream stay off just yeah. don't even post yeah right? i was having a conversation yesterday with somebody um a mother and she was telling me about um you know when her son was you know his i guess around his first year colicky and she was struggling with uh postpartum depression um having some issues, uh, just, you know, with her husband and, you know, describing how she would go to work. Um, she was st still working, you know, while having a young child and going to work and having 
panic attacks going up in the elevator to her office and and then arriving at work and and really just kind of having to hide that all day long. And I, you know, I just think parents it is the hardest job. And and I mean, that's such a true statement. Um and I just, you know, whatever we can do to kind of normalize that and and provide a forum where people can share like, hey, yeah, like things are tough. I'm not getting great sleep right now, but, you know, I'm doing the best we can. Like, you know, however we can normalize that because I, you know, I have to imagine most parents are going through very similar issues like, you know, tired, overworked, stressed out, anxiety. Um, these are, you know, we spend a lot of time making sure our kids are okay and that our kids are breathing and that they're getting good sleep. But, you know, at the same time, there needs to be a focus on us getting better sleep as parents, us doing the things, um, to carve out our own personal time to keep our own balance. So how do you do that today? How do you keep your balance? I think it's incredibly important to just be mindful of the fact that routine benefits everyone. So I keep my balance by keeping a certain level of routine. I have time that is for me. I have time that is for family. I have time that is for work. You know, I think people nowadays are calling that block scheduling. Okay. But I consider that establishing a personal routine. You need that space. You need that time. You need to be able to reflect in some way. Now, for many people, especially if you're by yourself parenting or you're just in your own space, um, you may not have that time and that availability, but it's important to carve that out when you can. So even if it's everybody's in bed and you've just finished cleaning everything or getting ready for the next day, that point in time, take some time for yourself. You have to carve out that time, but it has to be a routine because if it doesn't establish itself into your life as a routine, it won't happen. Yeah. It won't happen. Um, well, Carice, I want to thank you so much for being our guest today. Um, as a parent of four, I can relate to the challenges we all face in trying to maintain our own well-being while caring for our kids. And I think a lot of what uh, we've discussed today will help me to better maintain this balance and also our listeners. So again, thank you so much. Thank you. I've appreciated being here. Thank you. Carice Laguerre is a registered dental hygienist and myofunctional therapist. She founded the Myo Spot, a practice aimed at amplifying oral wellness to whole body wellness. Through teletherapy, she helps clients of all ages overcome tongue ties, TMJ disorders, sleep apnea, grinding, anxiety, and various breathing and orofacial dysfunction. Passionate about education and self-help, she published the book Accomplished, How to Sleep Better, Eliminate Burnout, and Execute Goals, available on Amazon.com. Our theme song and sound engineering was provided by Shane Sufridi. You can listen to more of Shane's music at www.shanesufridi.com. If you have a story to share about blending parenthood with your professional life, or if you want to tell us what you think about our podcast, send me an email at thechange at eiqmediallc.com. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time on The Change. The Change is produced and distributed by EIQ Media, LLC. Elevate your emotional IQ with podcasts and content focused on leadership, mental health, entrepreneurship, and more. 